Father, we thank you for such a great time in your presence. Lord, we are, are grateful for uh, this moment, for this day in the season that I have seen. Lord, I know you are setting us up for something amazing. And so we surrender our hearts today to you. I pray for the listeners. Give them ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, help us to be a people of action. We're doers of the word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to impress power upon your people today as they hear this word, that they would take it and walk it out this week. And Father, I ask you, as I always do, give me boldness in the Holy Spirit to declare your word just as you placed it in my heart. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's forever settled. It never changes. It's our anchor. So, Lord, today as we dig open your word and we study these scriptures, I thank you for ministering to us, anchoring our lives in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Forgive me, I have the hiccups right now. I, I want to talk just for a few minutes. We're in a brand new series called The Power of the Invite. Would you say invite? invite. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want to invite you. Listen, there's this power in invitation. And for the next three weeks as we lead up to Easter, I want to just fill your tank. I want to pump you up. I want to charge you up. Whatever you need, I want to strengthen you by the word to be a great inviter for Easter Sunday, there's people in your life that need to be here on Easter and hear about the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, I get a better amen than that in a Baptist church. Come on, listen, there's, there's people in your life that are waiting on you to extend them an invitation. They just don't know it yet. I heard one man say, he said, in every person's heart, there's a hole that can only be filled with the gospel. So if we know there's holes that need to be filled and we know the great filler, let's take this responsibility and let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus being the great inviter, probably the greatest inviter of all time. And We talked about what does it mean to be invited. It means that you're wanted. You know that most human people, that doesn't make any sense, most people, <laughs> most human beings, thank y'all for laughing at me. Sometimes my, my tongue gets twisted. My, my mind's not as fast as my tongue is. Most, most human beings, they have a desire to be accepted. The truth is, is that most people, over 80% of people that come to church, they're not coming for Jesus. They're coming to meet friends. They're coming to make connections with others. They're looking for community. And my prayer is that when they come looking for community, that they find Jesus. Through us. But the truth is, is we, we have a responsibility to, to make people feel wanted and express that they're special. That's what an invitation does. It says, hey, you're, you're different. I want you to be a part of this. Uh, an invitation says you're included in what's about to happen. You ever got a fancy invitation in the mail? And it's like that thick. It's like an envelope stuffed within an envelope with another envelope. And then you open it up and it's just a piece of cardboard. You're like, man, this is fancy. And you're like, oh, they invited me to their wedding. We only met them once. I feel special. I just start thinking about the food. When people invite me to weddings, I'm thinking, based on the invitation, this is a little trick, by the way, the invitation tells you what kind of food they're going to have at the wedding. Yeah. If it's just a little hand scratch note, like, hey, you want you to join us, you can guarantee, like, it's going to be KFC in a bucket. But, man, some people, it's calligraphy, and it's envelopes and stuff. It's like, man, we should go to that one. They probably got some steak, some shrimp, maybe some lobster. Y'all know y'all know, y'all go for wedding food. <laughs> Honey, we have to go. We, you know, they're our friends. Yeah, right. You're just hungry. 
We talked about Matthew chapter 4 in verse 19. Jesus, the great inviter, he said this to the disciples. He said, come, follow me. And his promise was, I'll make you fishers of men. Last week we talked about following and fishing are divinely connected. We all say that we're followers of Jesus if we've received him. But my question is, are you a fisher of men? And the truth is, is you can't be one without the other. You can't fish for people for eternity without having a relationship as a follower. And you can't follow and claim that you're there with Jesus if your responsibility and obligation isn't set on people because his was. Today I want to read out of Acts chapter 8 verse 26. It says, later God's angel spoke to Philip. He said, at noon today, I want you to walk over to the desolate road that, that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. It says he got up and went. And as he went, he met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and he was returning to Ethiopia, where he was the minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Let me just stop right here. This was an important man. This wasn't just everyday Joe. This was a very important man who was on his way back and God sent Philip to minister to him. He said he was reading or riding in the chariot and reading from the book of Isaiah. And the spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. So running alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading the book of Isaiah and asked, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He answered, how, how could I? I ain't got no help. He invited Philip into the chariot with him, and the passage that he was reading said, As a sheep led to slaughter, and quiet as a lamb being sheared, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down and never got a fair trial, but now who can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? The eunuch said, Tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? Listen to this. Philip grabbed his chance. I love that. Philip grabbed his chance using the same text. He then preached Jesus to him. As they continued down the road, they came to a stream of water, and the eunuch said, hey, here's some water. Why, why can't I be baptized? He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, and Philip baptized him on the spot. That's the second time in two weeks that that verb has come up, that statement, on the spot. If you were here last week, I talked about Zacchaeus. He climbed up in a tree and it said, when Jesus arrived on the And here it is again, when they came to that spot. It says, they both went down to the water and baptized him in the spot. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip off. And that was the last that the eunuch saw of him, but he didn't mind. He had what he'd come for. And he went on down the road as happy as he could be. Verse 40 said, Then Philip showed up in Azotus and continued north preaching the message in all the villages along the route until he arrived at Caesarea. Today I want to talk about what it means to be a chariot chaser. I want to talk about what does it mean to, to chase a chariot for the kingdom. You know, last week I shared for a few minutes about the great inviter and Jesus being a great inviter and he's our example and we talked about the power of invitation to bring our friends and our family to church on Easter Sunday. But today I want to take it one step further. It's great to bring people to church and invite them, but it's greater that you take Jesus to them. 
Stephanie and I moved to Wilmington about a year and a half ago, and, and we found this cool house that we liked, and, and it was a big house for us, enough space for our growing family, and it's closer to the church, and, and we began to get excited about it, but the Lord said to us, he said, I picked that house for you because I want you to minister to those in this neighborhood, and I was like, sweet, we're in. And so we began to talk and pray, and, and I was coming up with all ideas on how we're going to minister to our neighbors and invite them to church, how we're going to get our friends to come to church and our, our new friends that we meet on the playground, at the park, on the, all the dog walkers, all the people we come in contact with as we're about our day. And I kept thinking, well, how are we going to get them to church? And, and the Lord paused me and said, I didn't tell you to bring them to church. I told you to introduce them to me. This is beyond an invitation to come and see, and we need that. There's times and places, but there's also times and moments where you're going to meet somebody in a spot, a divine moment, a divine time. And in that moment, church isn't the cue. The cue is Jesus. Today, I want to talk about personal evangelism. I want to talk about the Great Commission. And I want to take a few points from this story with Philip, and I want to give them to you. My prayer is that you would be fueled today to leave this place and go invite somebody to meet Jesus this week. The first thing that I see in the scripture is said that he, God's angel spoke to Philip at noonday and said, I want you to walk over to that dirt road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. It was a specific thing that he wanted him to hear. We have to listen for the voice of God and we have to look for opportunities. Listen, we can get so busy about our day that we're, we're not really listening or looking. We're like, I got to go to work. I got to pick up the kids. I got to drop them off at daycare. We've got dinner tonight with the neighbors. We've got small group tonight. We've got worship practice. We can get in such a routine and turn everything else off that all of a sudden we wonder, man, Lord, are you ever going to use me? And he says to me, hey, maybe you're just too busy. When was the last time we started our day with saying, Lord, what do you want to do in me today? And Lord, what do you want to do through me today? I've made a decision that, that I'm not going to live a life of such routine that I miss out on the voice of God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like routine? It's okay. Put it up. Hold them up for a second. How many of you like, man, you like it scheduled out? Like I need to know what's going on during the week, hour by hour, hour by hour. Yeah, I don't like y'all. I, I, I feel like sometimes my life gets so planned that I have no choice. My wife's like, you know, on Tuesday we're doing this, on Thursday we got this, on Wednesday morning you got this meeting, then that meeting, and back-to-back meetings. I'm like, I don't want any more meetings, I want to play golf. <laughs> we could get so structured in our life that even if God wanted to speak to us, maybe we wouldn't hear him. And I want to encourage you today to be like Philip. It said that he heard God speak to him about a place and a time to do what? To minister to this Ethiopian eunuch. Many years ago, almost... 20-something years ago, I was a brand-new youth pastor. In fact, Pastor Mark and Janet Brzee, I was a youth pastor at their church. They had just launched World Outreach Church, and it was about two years old, and they come to a place where they had a few teenagers showing up and realized, man, we need to start a youth ministry. And so I volunteered, and they hired me. I have no idea why. They should have never hired me. I didn't know what I was doing at all. And there was about 9 to 12 kids that came on Sunday nights to eat pizza and play Xbox. Fair enough. That was youth ministry in those days. And I, 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 like, I like doing stuff. Like I, I have a hard time sitting still. Anybody else? Like I, I want to go, I want to go, I go. So I thought, man, we'll have a guy's night and we'll have a girl's night. The, the girls will hang out and do whatever girls do. And 
And the guys, I want to go rock climbing. And that season, I was climbing like three days a week at an indoor rock climbing gym. And so I thought, man, the guys will love this. We got a rock climbing event. And I, I pitched it and tossed it and invited. And, and that night, I was so pumped. Oh, man, we're a bunch of guys. We're going to go climbing. And I got to the parking lot and waited and waited and waited. And one dude showed up. <laughs> one guy, total introvert, kind of nerdy. I'm thinking, I got nothing in common with this guy. And my buddy Dustin was with me. He was one of our youth workers. And we had been climbing. I thought, I don't want to take this guy to the rock climbing gym. I thought, how are we going to hang out with him? He's so quiet. He's, he's, he, I have nothing in common with him. So I actually told Dustin, I said, let's just tell him the event's canceled and we'll take him home. <laughs> yeah, see, they should have never hired me. I told you that. <laughs> I was more worried that my night was going to stink having to hang out with this stinky 16-year-old kid. And then in the moment, the Lord was like, no, he came. I'm like, really? And he said it again. He said, Josh, you said you would do it for one. So I said, okay. And I was kind of headed out. I said, let's go. Come on. Let's get down there. And you don't want him to drive down there. Man, this kid started talking. He was funny. I was laughing. By the time we got to the gym, we had a blast. We climbed for like two hours, and we had the best night. He showed up at the youth ministry the next week, and he gave his heart to the Lord. Raised his hand, said, I, I want that Jesus. And I thought, man, thank you, Father, for speaking to me because I wasn't listening. A few weeks later, he said, hey, you're going to do something with worship. I know you guys have been doing these video things, but I play electric guitar, and, and I would love to be a part of the worship team. And he started playing on the worship team. The next thing I know, he's bringing his friends. He's bringing his family. He was single-handedly growing our youth ministry. A few weeks later, he said, man, I really feel like God's calling me to ministry. Can I, can, I, can I do an internship? And so that whole summer, he interned with us. A few years later, Jeremy got married and went to the mission field. Him and his wife were missionaries in Ireland for five years. You know, I think back on that because when I met Jeremy, I didn't want to hang out with him. But the Spirit of the Lord said, Josh, you told me you would minister to one if I would send you one. I want to challenge you, take some time this week to get quiet and listen because he may have somebody in your life that needs you and your, your willingness to obey directly affects their destiny. Opportunities are around us all day, every time, if we're listening and we're looking. I was in California for 10 years, and while I was there, we were youth pastoring at another church, and I had a guy on my team. His name was Big Mike. One day, you guys will get to meet him. He's about 300 pounds. He could bench press about 300 pounds, and everybody said, what's he do? I said, he's just my bodyguard. I would go travel and preach at youth camps and conventions and do stuff, and he was always with me. He's right behind me, and again, he's a towering man, and people would say, oh, better not mess with Pastor Josh. He's got his bodyguard with him. He was one of those intimidating-looking guys, but a tender heart. And one night, Mike was coming to, to our youth ministry, and he said he was backing his car out of his driveway, and as he backed out, he saw a young man sitting on the curb. And the, the young man was sitting there, and he had his, his hands, his head in his hands, and the Lord said, stop and invite him to youth tonight. Mike said, I'm, I'm going to be late. I have a youth leader meeting. Pastor Josh is going to be angry. He likes to start on time. And the Lord said, I want you to pick that man up and invite him to youth ministry. And so Mike said he backed his truck back into his driveway, got out of his truck and walked over. And he said, hey, man, my name is Big Mike. What's your name? And the young man said, my name's Eddie. 
And he said, man, you look like you're, you're, you're what's going on? You okay? And he said he just began to spit all kinds of nasty expletives out of his mouth and just started talking about how horrible his life was. How he didn't know if he wanted to live anymore. But the people he'd been running around with, the addictions that were overwhelming his mind. And Mike said, man, I think you should come to youth group with me tonight. And Eddie said, man, I got, I got nothing else to do. I got, I got no hope. If you think that's going to help, I'll go. And I remember Eddie sat in the back. He was a tall, skinny, lanky Latino guy. He looked kind of intimidating. And he sat in the back, and he was crying the whole service. And I thought, man, my preaching is so awesome. I've moved this guy to tears. <laughs> he cried the whole time. And, and, and at the end, I gave the altar call. And I thought, surely, man, he's, he's been moved. He's going to come. Nothing. Oh, maybe my preaching wasn't that good. Maybe he's just got some real problems. So Mike, after the service, said, Pastor, I want you to meet Eddie. He wants to talk to you for a minute. He, he's, he needs some help. And so we walked into my office, and, and he said to me, he said, hey, everything you shared tonight, he said, I need that. I said, well, we had an altar call a few minutes ago. He said, yeah, I don't know what that means. And I began to share with him a little bit simpler on his level of what it means to receive Jesus and get a fresh start in life, about what it means to become a new person in Christ Jesus, old things being passed away and everything being brand new. And he said, I want that. I want that. And I said, well, let's pray right now. And I, I prayed with Eddie, and he gave his heart to the Lord that night. It was amazing. And Eddie came for the next four weeks to, to youth ministry. Man, and he sat in the back in the same place, but it was a different Eddie. And then the fifth week, I expected to see Eddie in the back, and he wasn't there. And so I asked Big Mike after service, hey, where's Eddie? And he said, Pastor, I tried to text you during the service. Eddie was stabbed five times today. He said before he gave his heart to the Lord, he was being initiated by a gang. And after the Lord touched his life, he tried to get out of it today, and they tried to kill him. Called Eddie's parents and talked with them, his mother Nydia, and prayed with them. And we believed God for a miracle that he would survive. He got stuck five times right here in his side. And from his kidneys all the way up to his, his lungs just messed him up. Two weeks later, I'm at youth group and I see Eddie coming in with a cane. And he's walking in and he sat in the back and his mother was with him. And after the service, I said, man, Eddie, wow, so good to see you. And he said, he said you guys saved my life. I said, I didn't save your life. He said, Big Mike saved my life. I said, Big Mike didn't save your life. He said, you're right. He said, Jesus saved my life. He said, had I not come five weeks ago, I believe that same thing still would have happened, but I wouldn't be here today. Listen, so many times we have to get unbusy so that we can hear in those moments and stop the car if you need to. I remember in Oceanside, me and Stephanie were going on a date. And we lived at the beach for a great time, and we were going to go on a date, and we lived in kind of a rough part of South Oceanside, and there was a lady on the curb, and man, you could just tell she was hurting. I mean, she was hurting, and I heard the Lord say, stop, stop, you know, just stop and, and find out what's going on with her. I told my wife, girlfriend at the time, I said, I got to stop, and we got to talk to her, and she's like, really? We're all dressed up. We're going on a date. This is going to take forever. You don't know how to shut up. You talk all the time. And I remember... Stopped the car and I walked over and the lady was sitting on the curb and she was totally intoxicated. I mean, she had thrown up on herself. She was talking mumbo jumbo. She didn't know who I was. And I just stopped and prayed for her and I'm thinking a miracle's going to happen. She's going to sober up and get Jesus. And guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. And I took some money out of my hand and I put it in her hand. And again, she was totally drunk. I mean, she didn't know where she was. And I just said, Lord, bless her. 
And I prayed over her, and I got in the car, and I was in tears thinking, man, I didn't do anything. And, and, and I got in the car, and the Lord said, yeah, you did. You obeyed me. I said, well, she didn't get undrunk. She didn't get saved. He said, I didn't say anything about that. I just said, would you stop and love on her for a minute and sow a seed in her life? Listen, it's always not about the conversion in the moment. It's about are we willing to stop our day and listen and say, Lord, if you want to do something, I'm not too busy to minister to your sheep. First is listening. The second is chasing. We got to listen and obey and seek those opportunities, but then you got to chase the chariot. The the truth is is, is the lost aren't always going to come to you. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone and, and go to them. Yeah. That same church in California, we, had a, 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 we were meeting at a, a middle school. It was a beautiful amphitheater, and I was there for about two years, and it was the same attendance every week. 200, 210. 220, 215. 195, 210. 225, we'd hit a big bump, and we'd go to 228 and be like, man, eight people more. I got frustrated. I went to the pastor and the team that I was out. I said, this stinks. We're start church is stagnant. We need some lost people in here. These are all just normal church people. Where's the, where's the, where's the harvest? And they said, well, well, well what, what do you suggest? I said, we should have like a super soul Sunday or a pack the house Sunday. I came up with all these cliche names just trying to sell them on. Man, we should, we should have a Sunday where we, where we tell all of our people, like you can't come to church unless you bring somebody. And they said, well, you think that'll work? I said, well, we'll just put a big mic at the door. We won't let them in. <laughs> and, and so we came up with this idea. Uh, we called it the 403. And they said, what did you come up with the 403? I said, well, last Sunday, I counted the seats, and there's exactly 403 seats in this room. So let's believe God together. Let's empower the people to bring the lost, not somebody from another church, not somebody that used to go to our church. Somebody that's never been to church, somebody needs church. And so we did, and we had a carnival out back for the kids and hot dogs and games and giveaways. And, and, and on that Sunday, guess what? Exactly 403 people showed up. Like not 402, not 405, not 401. Exactly 403 showed up. There was not a seat open. And the pastor, we had talked to him and said, hey, this isn't a crazy Holy Ghost service today, okay? No running around the room. Nobody <laughs> prophesy. No tongues today. This is just normal church. You know, like, don't want to freak anybody out. And I said, just preach like a David and Goliath message. Or a Daniel and the lion's den. Let's just give them resurrection, you know. The Lord's your Savior, and we'll throw a huge net, and we'll minister to them in the altar call, and we'll, we'll see people come to the Lord. And Man, the pastor got up and preached this amazing message and threw the net, but before he could get the altar call, a man from the back ran down the front. And I thought, oh, man, he's going to tackle the pastor. I was waiting for the security like put the people's elbow on him, you know, and he, had, he was tattooed from the neck down all the way down to his knuckles, and he had big Ray-Ban sunglasses on, and he came and he stopped right here, and he told the pastor, I want that, and he's like, uh-uh, I, I haven't finished, and as he said, I want that, other people started coming to the altar in a matter of moments, man, there was a whole group of people at the front that were just hungry for Jesus, I met that guy, his name was Chris, and we call him Little C., and little C came to me in the lobby and he said, I heard about the small groups. Man, God, God wrecked me today. He said, for 38 years, I've been out screwing around. Today, God spun me on the top. I'm going a different direction. I think I need one of those small groups. And I was like, oh, snap. He ain't going to fit in a small group. He looked different. He talked different. 
And I said, well, man, let's get together and talk. And he said, well, why don't you come down? He said, I own a tattoo shop in Oceanside. Why don't you come down on your bike this weekend and we'll have lunch and we'll get to know each other. And so I did. I rode down and, man, he had been radically saved. I mean, like darkness, like dark, dark, to just like glowing. I mean, he's a totally different person. And he said, hey, this Wednesday night, I'm going to invite some friends of mine to the shop. Will you come down and preach Jesus to them? I said, ah, what kind of friends? (laughs) And he said, well, my biker buddies, the girls from the strip club, the guys that I sell dope to. I said, oh, man. And he said, pastor, would you come tell them about what happened to me because I don't know how to explain it. He invited me to get out of my comfort zone, and I had a decision. I could do it or I can't. I could do it or I don't have to. And the Holy Spirit said, Josh, if you'll go, I'll put the words in your mouth. Testimony is for a year and a half, I had church in a tattoo shop in Fallbrook, California, where hundreds of men gave their hearts to the Lord simply because I got outside of myself and I went to them. About six months in, I had been going down, and I was telling the staff and the church. It's about a 40-minute drive, and the pastor and the staff said, hey, when are those guys going to come to church? You spend a lot of time at the tattoo shop. When are they going to come to church? Um, they're not. He said, well, I don't know if I'm going to continue letting you go down there if they're not going to come to church. They need to come here. You know, They need to be here on Sunday mornings. I said, Pastor, they're never coming here. They don't like you. They like me. I didn't say, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. That would have been funny if I did. But I said, Pastor, I said, they're, they're not church people. I said, I found out this last week that bikers, or like real bikers, when they go to have their club meetings, that's what they call it. They tell their old ladies what they call their wife. They say, I'm going to go to church tonight. That's what they called it. And they started calling the tattoo shop church. All they wanted was someone to come preach to them. They used to call me the chaplain. The chaplain, you need to pray with this guy. And I would go down there week after week, and people would say, well, why, why won't they come to church? I said, why do they have to? Why can't we take church to them? Listen, you're going to have to chase some chariots. He didn't tell this guy, hey, I know you just came back from Jerusalem, but if you'll come back, I'll take you to the synagogue, and I can tell you about the Messiah. He said, no, run up alongside of him and climb in where he's at and do life on his terms. This is a wake-up call for us. We're waiting for people to come to us. I want to empower you. The Bible says in Mark 16, 15, we go into all the world. We take Jesus to them. I love this, this quote by our founding pastor. It says, he said this, a world you refuse to enter is a world you will never reach. Some of you have been invited to parties and you didn't want to go because you don't identify with that lifestyle, but they invited you on their turf. Don't be intimidated. I'm not saying you need to go act like them at those parties, but man, if they want you there, there's something special on you, you should go. It may be the spot that God's called you to minister to. We get so religious about, well, will people see me at that bar with those people? Listen, I'm not saying go and drink with them, but if they invite you, why don't you go hang out with them? It might be the open door for you to minister to them. I'm freaking some of y'all out right now. Listen, if we want the lost, we're going to have to go to them. I said, we're going to have to go to them. T.L. Osborne said this. He said, go where the people are. Number three, I'll keep moving. I think that was a little touchy right there. Some of us got to get out of your religious bubble. 
Some of y'all get away from your Christian friends. You're comfortable in your little, your little group of, of people that believe the same way as you, but yet you desire to be used. I want to tell you as your pastor, pop the bubble and go get some lost folks. Go get some people. Go get around some people that look different than you, that talk different than you, and watch God show up and wreck their life. We talk about revival. Guess what? Revival's not coming to us. We're the revival that goes to them. Number three, capture their attention. He captured his attention. Philip climbed up with, with some tact. He wasn't rude. He didn't jump in there with a huge sign and say, you're going to hell. He was respectful. He had tact. He asked a question so he could be of assistance. He was looking for a connection. Hey, it looks like you're reading the book of Isaiah. Do, do you know what that says? Well, how could I? I ain't got nobody to tell me. And in that moment, he found a connection with that man. 2000, 2001, I was at Mark Brzee's church as a youth pastor, and there was an usher that I had become friends with. And he had two kids and the older daughter. She came to youth every Sunday night. But he had a younger son that always stood outside on the stoop of our, we met at a high school, in the stoop of our high school, and he never came into church. His name was Tyler. And, and so I made it my mission. I'm going to go be Tyler's friend. And Tyler was a tough cookie. He didn't want to, have, he didn't want to be at church. He didn't care about church. And, and, and the closer I got to him, I could tell he, he don't like me. And I'd walk in on that Sunday, and I introduced myself. I said, is your name Tyler? Yeah, I'm Tyler. I said, I'm Pastor Josh. Cool. You ever have somebody just cut you off? They just look at you like, you're the idiot now. I'm like, all right, Tyler, good to see you. <laughs> Could tell this ain't going good. And the next week, his dad would say, hey, I want to get Tyler to come to youth. And I said, yeah, Tyler's a tough cookie. He said, oh, you, you have no idea. I made it my mission. I'm going to invite Tyler until he comes. And so the next week, I walk up, and I, I tried to like, he just stood there and said, hey, Tyler, what's up? I said, dude, we got youth tonight at 6 o'clock. You should come. You should come to youth tonight. He said, I'm not coming. All right, good to see you. And the next Sunday, I walk up, and Tyler was out front. I said, hey, Tyler, how you doing? What's up? Hands in his pockets, tough guy. I said, hey, man, I said, I want to invite you to youth tonight. We youth at 6 o'clock. I have pizza there. No, thanks. I said, there's going to be some good-looking girls there. Not interested. <laughs> All right. See you later. It was so weird. So every week on the way to church, I'm thinking, what am I going to tell Tyler tonight? I mean, this morning. Hey, so I walked up and said, Tyler, I'm giving away 50 bucks tonight for the guy that can drink the most Dr. Pepper. Who cares? You should come tonight. It's going to be awesome. I'm not coming. This didn't happen for like three weeks. This didn't happen for like three months. Mike, every time I saw him, I, I tried to engage Tyler. Hey, hey, I see you. I want to invite you to come to youth. I don't know how many times I got to tell you, man, I'm not coming. All right. See you next Sunday morning. One Sunday morning, I walked in and Tyler wasn't standing outside like he used to. He wasn't there. It was weird because he'd been there for nine months up to it. So I went up to his dad and said, hey, where's Tyler? Oh, he's at his grandparents' house. He's at his grandparents this weekend. Where's his grandparents live? Oh, he lives out. They live out in such and such Oklahoma. What's he doing out there? Oh, man, he's, he's having the time of his life. He's fishing and hunting and, you know, he's hoping to get a big deer this weekend and Blah, 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 blah. And 
I was like, tell me a little bit more. He likes hunting and fishing? Oh, man. Tyler, that's all he lives for. He doesn't care about nothing else. He, he wants to be in that deer stand. He wants to shoot a big deer. When it's fishing season, he wants to catch a big bass. He's, he's all about the outdoors. I said, I got him. <laughs> got him. Oh, I was so excited. Like, I was so pumped. I thought, he don't even know what's coming. And next Sunday, I walk in, and I'm ready. Tyler's standing there in the same position that he's been standing for nine months, arms crossed. I said, what's up, man? What's up? I said, did you kill a big one this weekend? What? I said, did you kill a big deer this weekend? Your dad told me you were deer hunting. He said, what you know about deer hunting? I said, everything there is to know about deer hunting. <laughs> and I told him about the time I killed a big old nine point from about 200 yards out. With a seven millimeter magnum, it almost blew me off the stump I was sitting on. He said, you have a seven mag? I said, well, my buddy does. He loaned it to me. He said, did you really kill a nine point? I said, yeah, I did. I said, I got the antlers at the house if you want to see them. He pulled his phone. And I said, you want to see a picture of the deer I killed? And he didn't stop talking for the next 15 minutes. Let me show you the one I killed in the spring. Look at these two does I killed. I mean, he went on and on and on about deer hunting. And I said, well, you like fishing? He said, oh, man, let me show you this bass. I caught a 10-pounder last spring. He said, it's huge. Like, he just went on and on. He stopped talking. I said, you want to come to youth tonight? He said, what time is it? I said, 6 p.m. He said, pizza and girls? I said, they'll be there. <laughs> Tyler came to youth that night, apprehensive, but his heart was open. I preached the gospel that night. Little Tyler in the back. I'll take Jesus. Kept coming every week after that. Listen, we gotta, we got to capture their attention. you got to know your bait, know who you're fishing for. we got to get out of this mentality that's going to happen on the first cast. Oh, they didn't bite. I'm fishing over here now. And I'm fishing over here now. I like bass fishing. And one of the things about bass fishing is consistency. And just because I throw the spinner bait over here in this direction 25 times and nothing bites, man, I put that plastic worm on and it drops to the bottom and that bass snatches it off the bottom. They weren't on the top. They were at the bottom that day. We've got to be patient as believers to say, Lord, I'm just going to cast out again. You do the convicting and the hooking. But you can count on me. I'm just going to keep on fishing. My buddy is a, a professional bass fisherman. He's got a depth finder on his boat. I said, what's the depth finder at? He said, it'll show us what level the fish are swimming at. He said, in the, in the morning time, they're going to be at the surface because it's warmer. But as the day gets hotter in Alabama, they going down low where the water's colder. You're going to need to throw a plastic worm, Pastor Josh. I said, all I know is spinnerbait. And I sat there and, and threw the spinnerbait, but the spinnerbait only goes a few feet off the top. He said, you need a worm with a weight and throw it and let it drop all the way to the bottom and then just tug it just a little bit and just bounce it off the bottom. I caught more bass in just a few minutes than I caught all week long. We got to know the depth and the level of where people are. And you have to go to where they are with the right bait. So many of us give up on people too soon. Because we want the, you know, the honor of I led them to the Lord. Look at me. Listen, it's not about any of us. The only one that has the power is the Holy Spirit. You're just the tool. You're just the tool. Listen, the truth is, is the Bible says that, that only one out of three is going to reap. Some of us, we're going to 
cast the seed and plant a seed of the gospel in their life. And that's all we were supposed to do. And then there's others who are going to come along behind us and they're going to water the seed. And they're going to mature that seed. Man, man, that sounds familiar. I was just talking to Tunde. He was telling me the same thing a few weeks ago. Y'all connected? Yeah, we are. He plants the seed. I water the seed. And the Bible says that God gives the increase. Don't get frustrated if someone doesn't bite the first time. You didn't bite the first time. Let's be consistent. Getting to know our people. Finding out the depth of where they are. Number four, and I'll wrap this up, is we got to communicate Christ. Once we get people on the line and they're in, man, you've got to take that step. And that's the hardest part is that, you know, I know we've been friends for a while, but, but I need to tell you, man, I, I, I'm, I'm different than you. What makes you so different? Well, truth is, I'm really not that different. But because of Jesus, now I'm different. I have a relationship with an eternal Savior. I have peace in my life. My sins have been forgiven. I'm not who I used to be. Truth is, is every relationship comes to a point where we have to finally communicate Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, I, I think that in this season, communicating Christ has to be at the top of our, of our mentality. With so much chaos going on, we need to present Jesus quicker. Well, we need to present Jesus much quicker, and we need to give them that opportunity. Hey, I've been talking to you for weeks, and I've been going to the gym with you, and we've been, we've been running, and we've been doing this and that, and we've been hanging out. Hey, I want to tell you, hey, I believe that God divinely put us together for a purpose, and it's because of Jesus. You need Jesus. It's time that the church gets away from, hey, I just, uh, well, if you just come to church, uh, uh, no, no, no. Right in that moment, on that spot, when there's that conviction in your heart to say, hey, I, I got to tell you, I'm not who you think I am. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Most people are going to say, I already knew it. Well, you did. Well, yeah, just based on the way you talk and the way you live. You don't act like everybody else. Well, well, do you want Jesus too? Yeah, I was just waiting for you to tell me. Most times that I've shared my faith, I thought that I would get rejected and it was the complete opposite. Like it was so open that it scared me. I'm like, dang, that was easy. What is it? It was the, the seed of the gospel going forward. It was the goodness of God preparing their hearts, but there has to come a moment where we communicate Jesus. See, chasing chariots is about chasing souls. Chasing chariots is about someone's eternity. It's about salvation, redemption, and freedom. Chasing chariots is all about others meeting Jesus through us. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to extend the invitation. Jesus came on a mission. Listen, Luke 19.10, it says, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. So if we're going to follow him and we're going to be fishers of men, this becomes our agenda. This becomes our life mandate that, that wherever we are, we're there to seek and save those that are lost. I'm going to tell you this. There's, there's an old book. I don't know if you can find it anymore. It's called A Passion for Souls. Maybe you can Google it. I have an old copy of my house, and I'm not giving it to you. It's mine. But listen, this book, it just talks about the heart of God and the heart of Jesus for the heart of humanity. And in 2000, when we were at Damata School of Missions, I prayed that prayer, Lord, give me a passion for souls. Give me this insatiable uh, uh, um, desire to win others to the Lord. I'm going to say this, there's, that's a scary prayer. That's a scary prayer because when you pray that and ask that, you might be at the gas station and the Holy Ghost says, yeah, that guy right there, go talk to him. Go talk to him. We've got to communicate 
Christ. Number five, the last one is keep chasing. There's always another one who needs Jesus. I love this story. We don't talk about this a lot, but Philip was on an assignment. He ran up alongside of the chariot, captured his attention, communicated Christ, and then he made a decision to baptize the guy. And it says in a moment, he was translated. You know what that means? He disappeared. The Lord snatched him. Said he came up out of the water and Philip was gone. Where, where did he go? He was placed in another town. It says that, that he was moved to Azotus and continued north, preaching the message in all the villages along the route until he arrived at Caesarea. Man, I think about that. When you get consumed with souls, God will put you in a place in a moment because he knows you're there on assignment. Oh, I want to live in that zone where he can place me anywhere at any time because we come ready to be followers and fishers of men. Jesus himself was constantly on the move. He never got stuck in any one place. It says he went about the villages and cities teaching and preaching and healing all that were sick. And they would say, well, you should stay here. And he'd say, I have to go to the next town because they haven't heard yet. I have to go to the next place. There's another village. There's another group of people. Listen to this. He was a soul winner, and it was contagious for him. It's the same way with us. I guarantee you the first time you share your faith with somebody else, you're going to leave that meeting saying, dude, I was so freaked out. I didn't know how it was going to go. But it went so easy. Now who's next? That's my prayer for you over the next couple of weeks. That Yes, you would invite people to IFC on Easter. Please, we want them. I'm believing for 100 salvations, and I'm believing for 1,800 people to be in our building, your friends, your family. That takes you being bold. But let me say it this way. There's no reason to wait to tell them about Jesus till Easter. Take a step this week. Take a, take a step this week and say, Lord, is there somebody in my path? I'm looking for them, and I'm going to use the tools, the, the whatever it is, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's in me to give me the power to extend Christ to them. Would you stand with me? I know I went just a few minutes. I want us to sing a song. Can we sing that song, Jamie? I want us to close with a song. I want, I want to ask you to take a moment and just do a little bit of a checkup per se. Your head's bowed and eyes closed. Just listen to me. I didn't preach this message for you, by the way. I'm preaching it to myself. I got to be better. I got to be better at communicating Christ. I got to be better at capturing those in my life. I've got I've to do better at responding in a moment. And I want to challenge you just as he's challenged me to chase some chariots this week. Chase some chariots next week. You probably in your mind already know what that chariot looks like. You know what kind of car they drive. You know where they are. You know what they're going through. And I want to empower you to say, hey, you've got the ability to chase some chariots. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be in relationship with you. And we ask you to send us this week. Lord, you can count on us. We'll be your hands and we'll be your feet. In Jesus' name.